again, and we'll be reading verses 13 through to 16. So Mark 10 from verse 13. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For, such is the kingdom of, for, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. Let's pray. Lord God, as we study this small portion of your word today, we pray that you would richly bless us, that you would help us to see what is perhaps a a common passage with fresh eyes, being enthused by your word and encouraged by your spirit working within us. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Today we are obviously looking at a very small part of Mark's Gospel. There's only four verses there. Uh, Someone asked me recently, which is not my motivation for this, but someone asked me recently if I was tracking for the longest sermon series on Mark. I'm not, but if you ask me those sorts of questions, I might change my mind. Very dangerous to ask those sorts of questions. We are looking at these verses here. I was originally contemplating preaching all the way up to verse 31. There's a lot of language links here, particularly between verses 13 and 16 and verses 23 to 21. But I've decided we will focus on this today and hopefully we can continue to maintain the context of this uh, when we get to the next part next week. So there's just these four verses today. Uh, the, The verses here are verses that I'm sure most of us have have heard before. And there are things coming out of these verses that we have quite likely heard, even if we have had very little to do with church or Christianity ever before. Faith like a child, childlike faith, those sorts of expressions have become fairly common and they have their origins planted very firmly in this passage. So perhaps we're looking at this going, we know this, why are we just taking one sermon to look at these four familiar verses I think there's a lot for us to get out of this. Now, before we do dive into it, as a bit of a recap, we need to be reminded of what we've seen previously. The the first 12 verses of Mark 10, we see Christ teaching on the significance of marriage, the, the special nature of marriage, who marriage is for, and that marriage is not to be destroyed by anyone, not even the people who have entered into the marriage. Deuteronomy 24 passage right this week, not 21, Deuteronomy 24, uh, the first four verses there does remind us that Moses had permitted, now the word permitted doesn't mean encourages or endorses, but permitted for divorce to take place should there be grievous sin such as adultery and only adultery take place. We perhaps look at that and we go, well, that's a hard lesson to uphold. There's actually a beautiful lesson that Jesus just taught us because through all of that we refer back to the last two verses of chapter 9 where Jesus has told us about the peace that we have from God and how we are to live as salt in the world and marriage is one of those wonderful ways that Christians can demonstrate that. 
Now, what's something that is common in marriages? Not all marriages, because we do live in a broken world where, where things don't always go according to plan. But what's common in marriages is children come along at some point in time. And that's where we get to today. Jesus, of course, didn't manipulate the crowds. What we see here is an organic uh, situation that took place. And we get there in verses 13 through to 16. And he uses this opportunity to, to, talk, about cheese, to talk about children in a way which maintains that view on having the peace of God and continuing to demonstrate that we are salt in the world. Now, as we dive into it, this is not just a be nice to kids sermon. We could take that out of here, but we need to go a lot deeper than just be nice to kids. So this is where we're going today. We're heading into it now, verse 13. So verse 13, then they, whoever they are, is unknown. But they brought children to him, Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. This is where we start today. This is the original verse we're kicking off with today. We see conflict, we see contention, we see rebuking, we see a harshness, we see a hard heart coming through from the disciples. It's not really a particularly encouraging attitude to see as we begin. We get the sense quite a few times through Mark's Gospels the disciples still aren't quite following Jesus at this point in time yet for the right reasons. Uh, we saw a number of times when we worked through Mark 9, and we're going to get to it again uh, later on in, ch- in chapter 10. This idea that the disciples were with Jesus for power. There's previously been a discussion about who is the greatest among them. Which one of the disciples is the greatest here? Jesus, tell us we would love to know. We've seen the disciples rebuking a fellow for casting out spirits in Jesus' name because he didn't regularly have fellowship with them. They didn't know who this guy was, so we told him to stop. We rebuked him. That's our job. That's our position of authority. Don't you step on our toes. That's our job. Sadly, that attitude of superiority continues here. Of course, the disciples have a significant change of heart, barring Judas, following the death and resurrection of Christ. But at this point in time, this is what we are looking at. Jesus is a man who, wherever he goes, the crowds came. Multitudes came to hear Jesus teach, as was his custom with them, as we read earlier in Mark 10. He's important. And what sort of important man should be interrupted by snotty, gross children coming to him. Jesus, we are looking after you here. You are too important for the children. Parents or guardians, whoever it is, uncles, aunties, grandparents, whoever's brought the children, we are going to rebuke you for bringing your children to Jesus because he's bigger than this. He is more important than this. We don't want the kids here. We don't want the kids to hear God's words. We've said Jesus is a Christ, but Christ, the Messiah's words are not for the children, it's for the adults. Kids, know your place. Parents, know the kids are not meant to be here hearing this. Get them out. It's an astounding attitude. It's one I think that 
continues in churches today, sadly, where children are excluded from fellowship with God's people. And what makes this even more astounding is if we go back into Mark chapter 9, and in verse 34, in the middle of the discussion that the disciples have been having with themselves about who was the greatest, we see these words. Jesus has taken a child, presented the child before them, and said, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus' own teaching says that children are not to be excluded. Receive children in Jesus' name is what he said in Mark 9.34. It's not that hard. The deeper lesson, of course, from that passage is that we are to receive even the downtrodden and the disregarded in society in Jesus' name. When we look at that part of Mark, I spoke about the fact that children were often among some of the most disregarded members of society at the time. Very different today where if you say no to a kid who asks you for something, you look like an absolute monster and a bully. Had a very different attitude back then. So verse 13, we see the disciples doing something which was probably culturally acceptable. No, kids, you don't come near the important people, but it was so contradictory to Jesus' own teaching. As I said, there's even a rebuke for the people who brought the children. This is, this is not lining up with Jesus' own words. Sometimes we can be slow learners. The, the disciples have been getting there, but they're still not really connecting all the dots yet. They seem to be in that slow learner category at this point in time. Still had a way to go. What a terrible thing it would be if verse 13 was all we had there. That Jesus, who knows the hearts of people, who knows the things that take place around him, who knows more than we could ever imagine because he is God, knew that his disciples had turned away children, knew that his disciples had rebuked those who who brought children to him and did nothing. Verse 13 alone, if we only had that, that would be heartbreaking. But we have more. We have verse 14 to 16, which is a wonderful thing. Verse 14, we see Jesus is, is not just displeased, he is greatly displeased. This is not the nature of his ministry to exclude those who come to him, not even small, smelly, snotty children. So he says, let the children come to me and do not forbid them. Now that part there, I think that makes perfect sense at a face value reading. We, we read that and we go, makes sense. Let the children come. It's consistent with Christ's life and ministry. But it's what comes next that launches us to a deeper lesson that Christ is teaching. For such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And we can get a little bit of a head-scratching moment at that point. What is Jesus saying here? And if you ever open up commentaries and have no idea about the commentator you're looking at, it can be all sorts of fun. I'll say the word fun with my tongue very much firmly planted in my cheek at the things that people come up with. In our midweek Bible studies for now two weeks, it's going to be a third week this week, we're looking at uh, the new heaven and the new earth. 
And one of the things we've seen is the, I said before we got to this study, but in 1 Corinthians 15, of the resurrection bodies that are promised, promised to Christians. Some people look at this teaching of Jesus here and say, you know what? This means that when the new heavens and the new earth comes, we'll all have bodies of children aged between 5 and 11. That's not what is happening here. That's not the lesson that Jesus is teaching. That is a horrible misreading of these verses. It misses the context of everything that's come before and it doesn't deal with Jesus' words seriously. Through chapter 9, and it's been continuing through here as well, through this chapter, there's been an increasing focus of Christ on the issue of faith. Faith has become increasingly important in Jesus' ministry. He's nearing the end of his ministry here on earth. If we look at this passage here, even though these four short verses, we see a number of areas where, where faith is present and also an area where faith is not present. To start with, it's not present with the disciples. They don't yet have a faith that Jesus is God's promised Messiah. They have the faith that he is Messiah, but the Messiah is according to their definition of it, not God's. That's not real faith. They've redefined scripture. How can you have faith in Christ, who is our Lord and Saviour, if we disregard his teachings? What they have done here is in complete opposition to Jesus' own teachings, How can we truly say at this point in time they had faith? We can look at them and say that, but we should also look at ourselves as we say that and do some very, very serious soul-searching at that point. Do we, do you consider yourself a Christian? And if yes, why? Do you consider yourself a Christian because you turn up at church on Sundays? Maybe you're going to get bonus points when you get to heaven for being at Bible study and prayer meeting and church lunches as well. You turned up. You were present. But that's really all it was. Is that maybe why you consider yourself a Christian? For some people, they consider themselves Christians purely because of what they do or don't watch on TV, what they do or don't listen to on the radio. And for some people who I've met from southern parts of America, that they would consider themselves Christians because they don't drink or smoke. The issue of faith is one where we need to actually listen to Christ's words and apply Christ's words. If we don't do that, we cannot say that we have faith. We simply cannot. If we disregard God's words to us, we cannot truly say that we believe him. If we believed him, we would do as he said. Jesus' own words, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's an important one for us to consider. I don't mean to sound heavy-handed, but we need to consider what we mean when we say we're Christians. What is the base of it? Is it faith that we are saved by Jesus Christ and him alone from sin? Or is it faith that we're Christian because we turn up at church and we do what we consider to be the right things? The disciples were with Christ. They were there. 
They turned up. They had not yet. And when I say yet, it's important to remember, not yet. They would, but not yet. They hadn't yet received the peace of God in their hearts. And because of that, they were not presently acting as a good, salty, soul-preserving people that Jesus encourages to be in verses 49 and 50 of chapter 9. So there's a lack of faith that's present in these passages. There's also evidences of faith being at this passage. Look at verse 13 and the, the, the subsequent action of Christ in verse 16. People, they brought children to him. We don't know who these people were. Their names aren't given to us here, but that doesn't matter. They brought children to Christ, seeking that he would lay hands on them, seeking a blessing from God. Think about that for a moment. These people, they believed they had faith that even these children could receive blessings from God. The children could not yet fully understand who Jesus was. They couldn't fully understand all of God's promises, but these children, without a full understanding, could still receive blessings from God. That is a wonderful thing to think about. This passage shows us that people who have been moved by the Spirit as adults and come to Him, we know that they will be welcomed and accepted by their Saviour. Those old enough to discern their sinfulness and absolute need for salvation from sin through Christ alone are welcomed with open arms by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And some people take that and go, Christianity then is only for the adults, or at least the teenagers who are old enough to discern these things. But that's not the whole story. Uh, John Calvin's commentary where he looks at uh, this passage, he looks at uh, Matthew 18 and also uh, Matthew 19 and also Luke 18. He says this. Now, I'm going to read this out. It's more than two sentences, so for me, this is a long quote. I'm going to read it out. I think it's very, very helpful for us. Christ declares that he wishes to receive children and at length taking them in his arms. He not only embraces but blesses them by the laying on of hand from which we infer that his grace is extended even to those who are of that age. And no wonder... For the whole race, or for since the whole race of Adam is shut up under the sentence of death, all from the least to the greatest must perish, except those who are rescued by the only Redeemer. To exclude from the grace of redemption those who are of that age would be too cruel. And therefore, it is not without reason we employ this, this passage as a shield against the Anabaptists. They refuse baptism to infants because infants are incapable of understanding that mystery which is denoted by it. We, on the other hand, maintain that since baptism is the pledge and figure of the forgiveness of sins and likewise of adoption by God, it ought not be denied to infants whom God adopts and washes with the blood of his son. Now, that's a long quote. I can send that to you if you'd like it. There's a third paragraph I didn't include because it would have been way too long. But we see there... We see there that the covenant community includes children. God's people is not just adults. God's people includes the children of those who have faith in him. These unknown people brought their children to Christ, seeking his blessing, and the blessing 
was given. Verse 16, we see that Christ took them up in his arms, not from a distance, not fearing whatever germs the kids had picked up at daycare. He took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. Four verses. Do we see the richness here? How much theology we can draw out of this. The parents, the guardians who brought their children to Christ seeking a blessing for them were perfectly right to do so. There is a measure of faithfulness there that must be commended. And through these, the actions of Christ in blessing these children, their faith is commended. And there's another area of faith we need to talk about. And that is the manner in which we believe. The kingdom of God is for such as this. For children. Again, children are not excluded from the grace of our Redeemer. Because they're too young, as some would say. But then whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. We enter God's kingdom by faith. By trusting in Christ alone for salvation. By believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We could look at every single verse in Scripture and have a whole sermon on each and every verse. I think if we were to do that, I might get the record for the longest series on Mark. And as we look at those verses, we can grow. We see the depth. We see the richness. We see that there is always going to be more to learn and discover and be excited by God about. There will always be more. We can go deeper and deeper and deeper. As Christians, we do grow in our faith. Paul encourages us to move from milk to meat, to grow up in the faith. But we enter the kingdom of heaven simply by believing. We do not come to faith in Christ by knowing a lot. That can help us in our faith, but that is not how we come to faith. Faith is a gift from God. We are saved simply through believing that Christ is the Messiah, that he is God that he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins because we could not, that we believe that his death was an acceptable sacrifice and that he has been raised back to life. And from there we grow and we keep growing and we keep growing and we keep growing and we keep growing. We're to enter in, to enter into the kingdom, we enter with Sometimes just a very simple faith, and the thief on the cross demonstrates that very clearly. So where does that leave us? It leaves us at a place where we never exclude children from hearing the word of God. We should never, ever, Say to kids, no, you are not up for this. If they're children of believing parents, we welcome them in and praise God for them. And we praise God. 
We praise God for saving us. We praise God for giving us a faith that started so small, but then grew and grew and grew. We praise God for sending Christ to save us from sin, and we tell others the good news as well. Not excluding anyone because they don't meet our standards. We share the good news and we rejoice in God always. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these verses we've looked at. Even after a whole sermon, there is still more to to say about these things. We are amazed at the extent of yourself which you convey to us. Lord God, we pray that we would never stop, uh, never stop searching scripture, never stop trying to go deeper into your word. And Lord God, we thank you for being part of this covenant community, that even children are your own. We thank you for the incredible depth of your love to each one of us, and we pray that we would remember that and be shaped by that and in turn demonstrate love to those around us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.